This is the Jocko Underground Podcast, number 84, sitting here with Echo Charles. And uh, there's a, I guess it's a little bit of a corporate buzzword you hear from time to time, change management. Hmm. So my initial foray into change management, someone asked me about it 10 years ago when I first was talking to companies about leadership and they asked me about what I had for change management and I immediately said, oh, well, change management. What we have for change management is the four laws of combat leadership. Cover, move, simple, prioritize, and execute, decentralized command. Mm-hmm. We talked through how these things apply to change management and how that's what it takes to, to manage change is leadership. Leadership is leadership. Whether you're implementing change, whether you're moving forward on a new project, what doesn't matter what you're doing, the leadership principles are the same. There's no, there's no separate and distinct methodology for change management. It's leadership. Mm. What do you do? You make sure you're mutually supporting each other. That's cover and move. You keep things simple so people understand what's happening with the change. You prioritize and execute. You figure out what are the most important parts of the change that you have to get done, and then you do those first, and you move through that prioritize and execute and decentralized command, which means you empower your subordinates. You make sure everyone understands why they're doing what they're doing. You make sure they understand why this change is happening. This is, not, this is what we do, and we've taken many companies now through all aspects of change management. Very effective. Now, I, I, the reason I'm think, I was thinking about this is because, again, someone asked me a question about it. I went through this, but then I started thawking, ta- thinking about change in, in an even broader perspective because we are constantly, as human beings, doing change management in life, mm. right? Things are going to change, and they can, just like ch- change management can trip up companies or jam up companies as you might like to say just as change management can cause those kind of issues in a company change in life can trip people up can jam people up Mm. and and i and what i think is look there's things are going to change we know that factually some things are going to change whether you want them to or not they're going to change some things you can slow down from changing Some things you can actually stop from changing. Some things you have to make the change. Some things you want to make them change. So even though we often categorize things, all these different types of change, we categorize them all as just change. But they're not the same. They're not the same at all. So treating change as if all change is the same is a big mistake, and I think a lot of people make this mistake. When you look at something in the world, does that thing want to change? Can it be changed? Do I need to change it? How much work will it take to change it? What's the ROI on that work that it's gonna take to change that thing? Do I have the time, resources, energy, investment, to make that change happen, and again, what am I gonna get out of it? So my point in saying this is that I think people get tripped up by change because they don't understand the nature of the change. So in some cases, they fight hard against changes that cannot be stopped. Or they expect changes to happen without any effort in areas of change where only effort and exertion will cause the change. Mm. 
And we have to be careful. You know, this is the kind of things, let me put it in a jujitsu perspective. You have to learn in jujitsu that there's certain positions at a certain point, you've given up, you've, you've lost the position and you need to move on. You need to transition to escape. You've already lost the position. You need to transition to escape. You also learn in jujitsu there's some positions you have to hold on to as much as you possibly can. There's often times when it comes to change when we have a closed mind when it should be open. Oh, we have an open mind when it should be closed and we accept things that should not be accepted. Oh, we don't accept things that should be accepted. So what I would like you to do is as you look at life, as you look at the world, recognize that there is different types of change. You can't treat it all the same. You have to be aware. In order to do that, yes, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to detach. You're going to have to take a step back. Maybe that means simple drill on detachment is writing things down. When there's change happening, you need to write down what is happening, why it's happening, what the outcome it could be. whether it's good, whether it's bad. And I think if you start to assess the type of change that you are facing, it is an element that has to be dealt with, but it has to be dealt with in different ways for different occasions. And that's what I would recommend you learn and understand about change. And if you do that, you will be able to negotiate it better. That's what I've got. Why are you smiling? Because it makes sense. It's so true, bro. And I <laughs> dig it where, you know, like we have our little comfort zones and we've got our little routines that we really get used to. You know, I'm used to the world working like this for me and with me. And, you know, and even if the world's working against me, like I can, at least I can manage it because yeah. I know what to expect on that one. Yep. And then like things start changing, you know, and it gets <laughs> uncomfortable. And yeah, the whole fighting thing is kind of like waves, right? Where mm, totally. bro, you, you, you're going to fight that wave. You can't fight. You literally cannot fight a wave. Nope. You can go under it. You can ride it, mm-hmm. bro. You can ride mm-hmm. shit out of a wave. You got to decide. You, you got to put yourself in the right position. You got to decide. It's going to be risky a little bit. Yeah. You know, but once you get good at riding waves in general, bro, you're kind of down for those waves. Yep. It's like a skill you can kind of, in a way, develop to accommodate the change, to ride the change that's inevitably coming. Yes. And yet, if you fight those waves, and your mindset is just to fight the waves, you're gonna lose. Yeah, By the way, you're gonna drown. Yeah. And, and, and that's a perspective thing. You're looking at those things going, I need to fight these things. When what reality is you need to open your mind and say, all right, I need to at least roll with them. And if I do really well with an open mind, I can ride these things yeah. and take advantage of these waves. Yeah. So yeah, jujitsu, surfing, combat, life, like there's some things that'll happen in, on the battlefield. Yeah. You can't stop it. And the more you try and stop it, the more you're giving up and the worse you're going to be. And there's other situations where change, you need to enable it. You need to push it along. But we just categorize it as like change management. That's what we're doing. Yeah. So no, that's why taking a step back and detaching and more technically in this situation, writing down what's happening and why it's happening and then, and then figuring out a way to work through it. That's my recommendation. Mm. That change management. There you go. Think about think about what's going on in your life, what's giving you trouble. Mm-hmm. It's probably some kind of change. And then analyze what kind of change it is. Analyze why it's why it's harming you, mm-hmm. why it's putting you in a bad situation. Figure that out. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing. 
All right, let's get to some Q and A. Q and A from Nako. Ah, Nako. Yeah. Uh, Jaco, you see, what do you think of the statements? If you don't have any enemies in life, you have never stood up for anything. Winston Churchill, and you are not doing it right in life if you don't have enemies. Author unknown. I've applied your teachings and of trying to develop relationships with both good and bad leaders and or adversaries in my life, and I feel like I do not have enemies. That makes sense because Nako's super nice, yeah. by the way. And he's and he's really good at implementing the principles that we talk about all the time. Yeah. Nako's in the, in the game, man. And yeah. you know, if, for those of you who don't know, he's a law enforcement officer. He's been one for a long time. He started off in New York City. Now he's in L.A. Uh, you know, he's been doing that job for a long time, and that is not a job. Where you make where where not making enemies is easy. Yeah, you know you got the political side, you got the the being out on the streets. Yeah. Like there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, but but okay, so yeah, that's Nako. And also real quick about Nako, he uh, so there's this YouTube channel. I came across it on YouTube. But I'm not sure if it extends beyond that, but uh, it's called Soft, Soft White, White Underbelly. Underbelly. Did yep. you did yep. you watch his yep. thing, bro? Oh yeah, watch yep. that one with Nako. Soft yeah, yeah, White yeah. Underbelly. I, know I did. I watched it. Yeah. That is a good one, and yeah. you kind of find out about his job, his career, and yeah. who, who he is. Yeah, and, and you get to learn some messed up things, man. People get oh, their yeah. heads cut off, and yeah. like, yeah, it's crazy. Bro, I shared that story with my wife. She was like, bro, I can't hear this. Yeah. I can't hear this story. And it's yeah. like, it's what was crazy. crazy about that story is it rando. Right, it was a random situation. Oh, yeah. It yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. like some plotted out thing. Yeah. It was like, oh, a, a random person yeah. goes crazy and starts cutting off people's heads. Yeah, like that's. I had a friend in the SEAL teams. <laughs> you did, okay. Yeah, and he uh, he was scared of. Do you remember the show, The Adams Family, with yeah. Uncle Fester? Yeah, the old school one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was he like had nightmares <laughs> about Uncle Fester. <laughs> Because he thought to himself, Uncle Fester was kind of jacked, kind of a big guy, and just like a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. And he thought that that guy, like if the situation came up, that guy would just kill you. Mm -hmm. Like Uncle Fester, so he'd have these nightmares about Uncle Fester, but it's kind of random. Yeah. That's the story that Nako tells. It's like, this is a random situation. Like, hey, you, you look at your family, you look at yourself, you're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm protected. You know, I got yeah. the security systems, I got the, you know, we've got, the weapon systems, like we yeah. got the dogs, like we got, we we have protection. Yeah, let's say that we, we can have, avoid that kind of problem. Yeah, well, th those problems aren't. But this is an this is a problem that's so random. This is like you, this is completely unexpected. Yeah. Where it's so random that your systems that you've put in place could catch you. Yeah, could you could be caught out? You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Whew, uh, okay, go on with the questions. Okay, yeah. Um, oh, and to meet Nako in real life, you're like, oh, okay, like you are pretty nice, like compared to like you know what we know about you, mm -hmm. whatever. It's, he's he's still a very surprisingly nice person. Anyway, back to the question. I see an enemy as someone who just doesn't truly understand me, and it falls upon me to change that. What are your thoughts on this? Thanks. I remember when you're in Brooklyn, you best watch your back. That's a little quote from the Biohazard there from was, Biohazard the band. When wasn't there a Brooklyn, swear word? You best watch your back. Uh, yeah, but there's not in the song, so I edited it. Sorry, Nako. No, no, no. And yeah, so classic biohazard, old school, New York, hardcore, get some. And Nako's an old school, New York, hardcore kid like me. Anyways, uh, yes, Nako, I understand where you're coming from. I agree with you. And as soon as I saw this question, I wanted to point out uh, an amazing song by a band called the Yvette Brothers. By the way, I already texted this. I already sent the, uh, the song to Nako. 
The song is called No Hard Feelings. Uh, here's the words. Like the last chorus, the last verse in the last chorus. It says, when my body won't hold me anymore and it finally lets me free, where will I go? Will the trade winds take me south through Georgia grain or tropical rain or snow from the heavens? Will I join with the ocean blue or run into a savior true and shake hands laughing and walk through the night straight to the light, holding the love I've known in my life and no hard feelings? Lord knows they haven't done, he's talking about hard feelings. Lord knows they haven't done much good for anyone, kept me afraid and cold with so much to have and hold. Under the curving sky, I'm finally learning why. It matters for me and you to say it and mean it too. For life and its loveliness and all of its ugliness, good as it's been to me, I have no enemies. Freaking great song. Um, And there's... uh, it's a great band too. They're called the Yvette Brothers, and they made a movie, which is called May at Last. It's a portrait of the Yvette Brothers. Um, there's two versions of the video of the on YouTube. One of them is the like official video, and the other one is from when they recorded it. They recorded it. Rick Rubin uh, produced the album, and so he's in the movie May at Last. And both of these versions of it are great. Anyways. The message is pretty clear. Let your goal be, let's not have, not have any enemies, right? And, and like Nako said, I agree with Nako. And generally speaking, generally speaking, I don't feel like I have any enemies. I have said in the past, if somebody is like ISIS, like an ISIS fighter, or somebody that is leading or supports a murderous, tyrannical regime in the world, you probably don't like me and I probably don't like you. We're probably actual enemies. Like we, we probably are trying to kill each other at some point, or we were at least at a minimum. But generally speaking, for normal people, I agree with what Nock was saying. Like probably just don't understand me over here. Now, this does not mean that people, that there are not gonna be some people out there that don't like you. That can definitely happen. That, that can definitely happen. And I will say this, generally speaking, the better luck you have, the more some people are gonna wanna be your enemy. I guarantee that Nako, after he did his uh, interview with Soft White Underbelly, I bet you there's some, oh, look at him, who's he think he, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Guaranteed, yeah. guaranteed. So when you have some luck in your life, there's probably gonna be some enemies out there for you. So while you might not have enemies, <laughs> you might be the enemy of some people. Mm. I, I can guarantee I'm the enemy of some people. Um, and that's the way it goes. I don't, even someone that I think might be my enemy, I'm still kind of like cool with them. <laughs> uh, and of course, I think that's the best thing to do, like in a situation, is hope that someone that feels like, someone that thinks I'm their enemy, I just hope that they have a good life and I hope that they can overcome some of their resentment and anger and hatred. And you, sh- you know, I can see it. Like, hey man, I've been very, very lucky. I'm talking about me, Jocko. I've been a very lucky person. I've had a very lucky life. I've been very blessed in many different ways. And so if you have a little bit of a negative attitude, that can really piss people off. And they might, I might be their enemy. They're not my enemy though. Um, so I, I agree with everything you're saying here, Nako. I think the goal is to not have enemies. 
I think if you're running around making a bunch of enemies, you're probably doing something wrong. Will you have some people that don't like you? Sure. Will you have people that are philosophically opposed to everything you stand for? Yep, you will. You will. You know, you're a freaking child molester. You're my enemy. You, there you go. And I, you know, given the opportunity, I'll kill you. So you're an ISIS fighter? Yeah, you're my enemy. Given the opportunity, I will kill you. So there's going to be those types of human beings in the world or subhuman beings. But other than that, most people, I'm cool. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like maybe in a vacuum that could be true. Like, because, like, if you've never stood up for anything and you've never caused any waves or whatever, it makes sense that you could not have any enemies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that makes sense. But just just because you stand up for something doesn't mean you automatically get enemies kind of a thing where, yeah, you can stand up in ways that don't create enemies. For sure. Specifically. For sure. As you, I think, originally pointed out, like, the guy that's like, look, I'm just direct with people. Winston Churchill saying, well, if if you're not doing it right if you don't have enemies, or what did he say? He said, if you don't have enemies in life, you never stood up for anything. It's like, Mm. okay. And look, freaking Winston Churchill was standing up for the free world and was was absolutely became the enemy of fascism and freaking Nazism. And if I was in a position like Winston Churchill where there was a leader like Adolf Hitler, who's trying to take over the world, I would be his enemy, 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, those are, uh, I guess you take this thing to an extreme, you can find cases, but I think as a general principle, for Nako to think like, hold on a second, am I doing something wrong? Like, I, I feel like I'm getting along with most people, that's a great way to be. Yeah. Right? Get yeah. along with, yeah, most people I meet. I meet people that are radically different than me all the time, yeah. and I get along with them fine. Yeah, you know, I got friends and have totally different attitudes about all kinds of things. Yeah, uh, polar opposite attitudes in some cases, yeah. and like whatever, yeah. they're not my enemy. So yeah, one could even say taking the Jocko approach might allow you to stand up for more things in a more effective way if mm. you try not to create all these enemies. Yes, because the minute that you know you're a whatever, you're from the What's what's the Dr. Seuss book? I'm gonna start using this. What's the Dr. Seuss book where they have there's two tribes, right? Belly star bellies and non star bellies. Oh yeah, huh? Yeah, right? yeah, I remember that. One. So yeah. if you're a star belly, and I'm not, mm. I think the best way to get you to see my perspective isn't by making you my enemy. It's by making you my friend. Yeah. This is the indirect approach, right? Mm-hmm. So again, for Nako's credit, I'm having more influence over people that are not my enemies than I am over people that are my enemies. And that even goes with ISIS. If I was to actually try and understand someone that was an ISIS fighter, let's say let's say I had the opportunity to sit down. I wouldn't say you suck. I'd say, hey man, tell me about how you grew up. Yeah. Where, you know, what did you do when you were younger? Mm-hmm. What have you been doing for the last few years? Oh, how'd you end up joining ISIS? Where did that come from? I would talk to them. Yeah. So even my statements about ISIS, I was like, you put me in the opportunity, I would rather use the indirect approach and try and use influence to yeah. get them to see a little bit more positive way of living, Yeah, which would be the move. Yeah, I think uh, too, we can, and, and I think this kind of applied to what you were saying, 
where like the, there's a difference between the group and then the individual. So if you like, if a group sure. is your enemy, it's because of the group mm-hmm. ideology, what they do, what they've done, what they live for, you know, all that stuff. As an individual, it's a little bit more. It's different where you can actually talk to the individual. You can't talk to a group. Yeah. You can even talk to more than one individual. But you're still not talking to the group as yeah. the group is, you know. Yeah. So even, yeah, even on this podcast, when I said, oh, well, if you're ISIS, I hate you and I want to kill you." Like I didn't do any favors for trying to help them see a yeah. better perspective. Exactly right. So I already made a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, technically. But even though, but I think I think you see this though. Well, obviously, when you're like, "Hey," right when you talked about like the indirect approach, I'd sit down, I talked to them. You weren't saying I broadcast a message to. To ISIS yeah, as a group, a you're talking about a person you're talking to. But even if you were to be able to broadcast a message, if you were able to drop leaflets yeah. on ISIS, mm-hmm. sure, you could say, hey, if you stay in this city, we're going to kill you all. Or you could say, like, hey, there's more opportunity for you with a different attitude. We can actually help you move forward to a better way of life. Like, there, that would be the, that would you be more successful with that approach. Yeah. But <clears throat> not to put too sharp of a. Not to split hairs, but even technically the leaflet thing, you're talking to a group of individuals with that method. So if you say, yes, but if you said in the leaflet said, um, there's a more prosperous future for ISIS. If you follow me, they're going to, they're not going to like you. They're going to be like, how dare you, you know, insult our, our, you know, essentially our group. But if you say there's, there's a, you know, a more prosperous future for you implying or saying as a person. Then it's like it's like one of those divide and conquer kind of things yeah. when you can when you can do the individual thing. Yep. Group, so yeah, so group dynamics different. are definitely harder to overcome. Yeah. So like if you're gonna create enemies, sure, it, you know when you're standing up for something, you might create group enemies. Like where it's not really a person. Yeah. It's like it's more like idea against idea. You you know we're doing this and you're them and you know the star belly kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. But you t- start talking to a star belly dude. You're like, oh, wait, you can find out probably more similarities than you can differences as a person, you know, seems saying. Jack. But yeah, I get it. Keep, keep, keep keeping it real, Nako. Yeah, keep keeping it real. All right. Next question. Next question. Good evening, Jocko and Echo. I'm a longtime listener. I appreciate everything y'all do. My questions are for Jocko regarding guitar. How often do you practice and what do you do if you feel that you're in a rut or have plateaued in regards to your progression? P.S. Are you planning to bring some riffs to the podcast again? I loved your White Buffalo video and the comp that you did with Tulsi. Comp? Compilation. Oh, compilation, yes. Um, we call it a duet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tulsi. You know what's funny? I When you guys played that song, uh-huh. right? Uh, the Friends one, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, well, I heard this song somewhere. I, yeah. I don't know where. I didn't know where. And then it hit me. The other day, when mm-hmm. this movie came on, that movie Juno. You ever heard of that movie Juno? I do have heard of it. Yeah, I it forget has, what it's has about. Jason or Bateman in it, and then um, it the main character. I forget the girl's name. At the time, it was a girl. Yeah. He's a boy now in real life. Okay, but nonetheless, that movie and the beginning of that movie, they played that song. Okay, my well, wife was go. watching it. I was like, oh, this is the song. Anyway, who did it better? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> of course, you, bro. That's what I'm you saying. My sister, Tulsi, well, at least of Tulsi course. did. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, there you go. That's the question. Okay. Uh, first of all, I'm not good at guitar. Uh, and it's all my fault. It's kind of like jujitsu. I like to roll, and I don't love to drill very much. Mm. You know? But 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 in jujitsu, I do like to learn new moves, and I do drill things. Uh, but with guitar, I... Like I don't drill. 
and I don't really even practice. See, I do jujitsu every day. I don't do guitar every day. I like jujitsu kind of more, you know, at this present juncture in my life for a long time. Uh, so I don't practice enough guitar. I don't study enough guitar. I don't play enough guitar. I've been plateaued for decades. <laughs> sure. I've been plateaued for decades. I can play like basic chords, uh, but I've been plateaued for decades. The thing is, this was cool. When I got, remember when I got COVID? Yeah, sure. You got it too. That's yeah, right. Speaking right. of Tulsi, we got it after we saw Tulsi one time. Yeah, and she luckily Tulsi though. didn't get it. Yeah. But even though we we hung out in this room, that was during COVID. Yeah. You know, and COVID. Yeah. It was and thing. you and I were not really participating in COVID. <laughs> <laughs> we were kind of, we were kind of doing our own thing. Um, but. I got COVID and then I had to, it was when, you know, everyone was freaking out. And so I forget why I got, te- oh, I got tested because uh, we had the muster coming up. Yeah. So I got tested and I had COVID. And so then I had to stay like in my house or allegedly in my house. I at least couldn't, you know, my my wife was like, dude, you need to freaking chill. Cause you and I had been just doing whatever. Yeah. Anyways, so I was like, okay, cool. And I didn't want to catch anybody. I didn't want to give it to anybody else. So I was like, cool. My And my family, we didn't even make any attempt to quarantine like me. Like I wasn't like, oh, oh I'm in just, the house. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. like, hey, I'll stay over here. And you got, no, everyone just didn't care. We, st- But I played guitar and I studied guitar. I had like 10 days in lockdown and I practiced and I studied and I got freaking way better mm. in a very short period of time. And it was, it was awesome. Um, and in the future, at some point in the future, I'm gonna do that again. I will go hard practicing and studying because I do really enjoy playing guitar. I feel like I have a good kinship with guitar. I feel like I have a good, I feel like I have a good natural sense on the get box. Sure. And I will get good at some point, but I'm a horrible example, lack discipline lack focus and that being said last part of the question do i have some new riffs to bring to the podcast yep i got one ready to go maybe we'll film it in april we'll record it in april i got another jam that i've been working on and of course i have a band you know i have a rock and roll band and the rock and roll band you know we're always threatening to actually play the same song more than once because all we do is we just play we play songs that are 18 minutes long, 12 minutes long, sure. half an hour long, mm-hmm. 47 minutes long, just jams. And I'm the worst musician in the band, mm. but I but I can sing, so I sing. Sure, I use my voice and lyrical prowess. And at some point, maybe we'll release some of that. And we threatened to release Bronson's Children music, mm. Bronson, Bronson's Children's, which was my one of my old bands when I was a kid. And we went to the studio when I was a kid. Yeah. So that's how freaking lame I am. I went in the studio and played guitar as a kid. Yeah. And I still am the same that I was then. Mm. Like I haven't gotten any better. But we threatened to release those and we tried to get them, get the master tapes. Mm-hmm straightened out where they could be put onto digital so we could actually release it and it was like they were too far gone. Oh, like de- degenerated or yeah, damaged or yeah. whatever? Huh, yeah. I, th- I want to say we uh, Elgin James showed me like the receipt. He had the receipt of when we, and we were in the studio for eight hours and it cost like 
$86 or something. <laughs> and we like pooled our money to play for, play <laughs> oh, for yeah. it. And we made like 21 songs. We made a lot of songs. Yeah. They were all pretty short, but mm. we had one acoustic jam on there mm. that I wrote. It was called Gone. It was freaking legit. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. uh, Bozak was on there playing yeah. bass. Oh, yeah. Another friend of ours, Brian, or Brian, was playing drums. And then Frank on the lead guitar, Elgin on rhythm and sometimes lead. <laughs> He's a good musician, man. Elgin. Elgin James, good musician, man. He's an artist. He's a good musician. Yeah. Yeah. And film. Good writer. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's the get box story. Sorry. I'll get better. Um, let's roll. What do you got? What, what's next? Next wish. Hi, guys. Thank you both for insight you provide on the podcast. I'm 32. I'm a 32 year old woman. When a friend or romantic partner starts off, starts to drift away, how do you emotionally detach? I care far more than the other person, and this causes me to keep reaching out, trying to address the distance and reconnect. Ooh. I know this is a bad choice, yes. but because I'm struggling to detach, I cave after a week or two and send, the, send another message or call to try and initiate conversation. Calls most often get ignored. Most texts get ignored or a one or two line response. They will then call me d days or a week or more later and not address that they have ignored me and make no future efforts to respond when I reach out. Essentially, it feels one-sided. The person says they don't understand why I think we aren't friends anymore, but their lack of effort, even after too many attempts by me to address the lack of reciprocation makes it pretty clear that they don't really care about preserving this relationship. How can I stop caring so that I, I stop making a fool of myself? I can power through for a few days or weeks, but at some point I cave because I missed the close friendship I had with them at one point. <sighs> yep. Um, so, so first of all, the person that you, the person that you have in your head, this dream of a person that you had in your head, and all this nice romantic feelings that you had, that person doesn't actually exist. You made that up in your head. They actually helped you make it up by acting a certain way. They pretended to be someone that they weren't. You believe that person, and that's what you are emotionally attached to. They completely, I hope that when you got done reading this or writing this, you read it. Yeah. And you could tell that you know it. You know where you're at. You think they don't care about preserving this relationship? They don't. They don't care. This is a bad person. This person doesn't care about you. Anybody that doesn't, that does this is just, they don't care about you. They don't want you in their life. But the, here's the positive thing. They're not who you thought they were. They weren't the romantic, nice person that stays up late watching Netflix and the, the big connection. They're not that person. That was not true. That was not who they are. So they are a bad person that you shouldn't care about anymore. And I know that's hard. And the way that what you have to do is you have to move on. You have to walk away and not look back. You have to walk away and not look back. And listen, let's say that there is some kind of a chance that this person realizes that they made a huge mistake. If that chance exists, which it probably doesn't, the only way that that chance turns into f to something positive is you walk away and don't look back. Because every time you make one of these late night phone calls, they, they go further away. 
So if there is a chance, the best thing you can do is walk away and don't look back. Don't ever call them again. Don't ever text them again. Walk away and don't look back. And by the way, after you do that, they are going to come back a little bit. They'll at least send you a text. They'll call you. They're going to do that because people want what they can't have. So you need to be careful because the minute you say, oh, thank you so much for calling. Let's meet for dinner. Like then you are something that they can have again. They won't want you again. It's a little freaking immature game that's being played. By the way, if there's no chance, the best thing to do, walk away and don't look back. So regardless if there's a chance or there's no chance, which is very, very, there's .0001 chance that this person has a moment of clarity and says, wow, you were awesome and I didn't realize it. There's a zero, very, very slim chance that that is the case. And if that's the case, the best way to make that happen is walk away, don't look back. If that's not the case, which it most likely is not the case, the best thing to do is walk away and don't look back. That's what you should do. Walk away and don't look back. Go find some uh, someone else. Go meet other people. Go sign up for jujitsu. Go join a running club. Go do CrossFit. Go do something else where there's other cool human beings that you can interact with. And you cannot make these texts again. Delete their freaking phone number. Delete them from your phone. Delete them from your life. And I, I get that it's not easy. I get that it's not easy. But what's harder is stringing yourself along. You're getting that little instant dopamine hit from sending a text message or making a call. You get a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, work. No. That is worse. Emotions are strong. I get that. Don't let emotions run your decision-making process. Walk away. Don't look back. Look to the future. Go do some social activities in the world and meet cool people. This person is not worth your time. Get a little, maybe you got to get a little bit mad about it. Who is this person? What kind of a person is this? They're a freaking, they're a bastard actually that they're not being cool to you. So don't be cool to them. Walk away. Don't look back. By the way, no one wants to hang around with someone that's sniveling and crawling back. No one wants that person. So don't be that person. Rise above. Did I cover it, Echo Charles? We've had very similar questions before in the past. I think there's a whole video that's called Walk Away and Don't Look Back. Getting over breakups. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. Um, the, The part that, and this is kind of a... Maybe we'll call it a street level kind of view of the the deal. Maybe a little bit above street level. Nonetheless, a lot of times like we people will say human beings, whatever, when they're in this position where like they're just hoping that maybe this person will all of a sudden change into someone else in, you know, in a new dimension and Mm. come back and, hey, I loved you the whole time and I miss you. And then big lie. Yeah. And the reality is when you kind of take a step back, one might even say detach you're going to essentially find yourself kind of what you said as you're in this whole little story. You're the needy person chasing someone who's a not needy and for sure not needy for you. Mm -hmm. So do you think that being a needy person is attractive? Like, do you think that someone is like, yeah, that neediness, like this Mm -hmm. needy person that is attractive to me. And I want to, I want to be with that person Mm -hmm. currently don't, but the more needy this person is, the more chance of me getting back. No, it doesn't work like that, no. right? No one wants to be with a needy person, romantic or friendship, by mm. the way. 
So boom, you're being that. So don't be that, right? That's the, an obvious like kind of a thing. And then another uh, kind of thing, because I went through this before, where you ever... Wait, come, you went through this before? Yeah. You were a needy person? No. Oh, you had a needy person. In We'll say in our life, mm-hmm. me and my wife and whatever. So there's, so there's this person, she always wanted to like hang out with us. Oh, this is a plutonic relationship. Yeah, it was a, it was a girl that was trying to be kind of friends with my cool. us. Yep, you know, yep. she'd always want to like hang out, mm-hmm. and it's like oh, she's because she was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. She was like and weird. Hey, be weird, but we it didn't mesh with us. Yep. Like it, she's weird, and she was needy in that way, where she'd always want to hang out or whatever. So we'd like go have little get-togethers or whatever, and we wouldn't invite this girl, and. Every once in a while, you could see her maneuvering, trying to find out where we'd be and whatever. And she would just show up like she would. That was her way. And I'm thinking, how the heck could someone see clear to show up to a party that she's not invited to? So, you know, the idea, let's say you went to a party and you found out later, whatever, that everyone was talking behind your back at the party that it was like, oh, why is that guy here? He wasn't invited. In fact, we're hoping he wouldn't show up. Why would you for one second want to be at that party? Isn't that weird? Mm -hmm. Isn't that awkward? Don't you feel kind of like, like you kind of betrayed yourself in a way? Yeah, you're you know? definitely in a bad spot. Yeah, so that's you put yourself more and more in that position when you keep chasing, 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 and then uh, I don't know, maybe you're scolding this person for not putting in the effort or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, what effort, bro? We don't. We're like, you're the one putting weirdo effort into yeah. it. I'm not." Kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So I think when you get in touch with that reality, I think it becomes yep. clear. A little detachment, a little self-awareness here. We know we're not in a good spot. We don't want to be here. And you seem like a nice person. So go be a nice person to someone else. Yeah. All right, next question. Next question. My daughter, a gray white belt, and I, a blue belt, love jujitsu. We just did our first tournament. My daughter had a hard time. She won one match, but, uh, but lost many more. I did fine, two and two. Lots of good lessons for both of us. That said, I'm not sure either of us really loved the actual process of competing even though we really enjoy training. How important are tournaments to staying on the path? There are lots of time and money and are genuinely in tension with some of our, some other games we were playing. Particular for me, I take care of my aging parents. That said, I gave the value of pushing, or I get the value of pushing ourselves to be the best we can all, or the best we can be in all realms. Thanks for all you both do and appreciate your advice. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, cool. Uh, competition. Look, competition, there are definitely some very cool benefits to competition. You get to deal with the pressure. You get to deal with the emotions. You, It's good. You go out there and win, and you can gain some confidence. They help expose weaknesses in your game. You can learn a lot from seeing those weaknesses. You get to deal with a bunch of different body styles that you haven't dealt with before. You get to do people who have different types of game that you've never seen before. So there's definitely some very positive things to competition. There's also, like you said, some downside. There's time. It takes a freaking ridiculously long time to go do a jiu-jitsu competition. You've got to drive there. You've got to sit around all day. you got to weigh in. Like It's a, it's a time suck. Uh, money costs money. Something like these things are hundred bucks. You know, you got both you and your daughter. There's two hundred bucks. Like that's pretty expensive. Freaking weekend. Uh, there's possibility of getting injured because now you got people that are going crazy. You got your own ego. You don't want to tap. Like there's a bunch of things going on there. And even though there's positive things from the pressure and the emotion, there's also negatives. You know, you get the negative pressure where you're have anxiety and might not be helpful for you in the big picture. But so so cool. The overall goal 
of jujitsu is to be good at jujitsu. And, and so from this particular case, I would say like, let's keep training and let's not worry too much about competition. Now look, maybe once a year, do a competition. Like if there's a local competition and you, you know, maybe make a goal. Just, you know, talk to your daughter and be like, hey, let's do a, let's do a competition every once a year. They have this competition, it's just down the street. Mm-hmm. Let's do that one once a year. And other than that, we just do it for fun. Mm-hmm. And let's go compete. Maybe you could do that. I'm not saying you have to do that, but maybe you could do something like that. Pretty cheap, pretty easy. Um, but the more important thing to me here is to keep training. Now, look, there are some, there's some discomfort that you experienced and that your daughter experienced, and there's some, something to be gained from discomfort. There's something to be gained from, you know, your daughter had a hard time. That's, that's in some ways, that's good, right? But if it was such a hard time that jujitsu's not fun, now we have a problem. We want jujitsu to be fun. That's the biggest priority. I would rather have your daughter train and never compete than have her sour on jujitsu. That's the worst possible scenario. The other thing I like about just training and let let her decide when she competes is that cool, it's her decision. Like at some point she's gonna be like, oh, I think I wanna compete again. Cool, then you go compete. Um, that's what I would do. I wouldn't stress too much about this. And there's some people that'd be like, if you're not competing, you're not really even in the game. I, I totally disagree with that. Mm. I totally disagree with that. You know, I haven't competed in a I haven't competed, I think the last time I competed was maybe 2007 or 2008, something like this. Mm. So how long has that been? Sure. It's been a freaking long time. Yeah. Cool. I compete every time I get out on the mats of justice here. <laughs> you know, like that's, you're, you're competing, you're trying to win. Yeah. I haven't been injured. You know, like it hasn't cost me any money to go compete, Like, you, but you're competing. Yeah. So look, the, here's the thing. Take it and use your gut. This isn't like winner. This isn't life or death whether you compete or not. The most important thing: have fun, keep training. That's what I'm. That's where I'm at. Yep, I'm. I'm with you there. And especially he mentioned something too that is a big deal. Where he was like, "Hey, I have other things that I focus on in life." And let's face it, you can only fit so many of those, especially if you really care about those things. You can only fit so many of those games, as he put it, which is what game are you playing? That's a reference to that. Um, There's only so many of those you can fit. So sometimes I feel like in the community, the jujitsu community, there is a little bit of pressure to compete and to at least do it once and like Mm -hmm. all this stuff, which actually I agree with. I think it's beneficial for jujitsu though. So if jujitsu is a certain is it's going to be a certain um, point on the hierarchy of important things in your life, of course it's super beneficial. Of course, like we know that or whatever. But if you're like, hey, I want to be the best jujitsu person I can be, then okay, competing is going to be part of that recipe for yeah. sure. And if you don't do it, you're not going to get there as quick as as you probably won't even be the best you can be if you don't compete. If that's one of your goals for sure. But if you got to be honest with where that that importance lies in your hierarchy of important stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if you're looking after your older parents and all that stuff. Jiu-jitsu is yeah. way down the line. Not to mention you got a 12-year-old daughter. You got all kinds of, get a job. You got all kinds yep. of stuff going on. 100%. We get and it. So, yeah, exactly right. So, I, and man, I remember, I like how you, kind of how you did it and I'm in, in the same boat where I, when I started, I was like, I, was, I wasn't married, no kids, barely had, I mean, I had a job. I didn't have a career. I had like a job. I was a bouncer, you know? So, jiu-jitsu competition was like, oh, heck yeah. Frick yeah. Practice freaking all day, every day, work, compete. 
But the thing about that, which translated into um, like when I did get a wife, kids, career, that kind of stuff, it, it really took its place in the back of the bus because of this, where when it's competitive, when you have a, when you sign up for that competition, mm-hmm. you're locked in. That's kind of one of the main thing that's main things that's on your mind. And when you only have like three things in life on your mind, heck yeah, jujitsu all day, the nerves, you embrace the nerves, all this stuff, whatever. But it does take a toll on your like mental, mm-hmm. not in a bad way. It just, it's a suck, you know, um, not to mention all the things you said. So actually there'd be times I'd be going to the competition and everyone's different. I get it. Where I'd be like, I, I hope the gym is burnt down when I get there. So I don't have to do it. <laughs> not all the time. But yeah. I've had those thoughts more than once. But it's good you know? to be able to overcome those thoughts. Yes, and exactly. And still right. go and do that thing that's uncomfortable. And that's the point, especially in jiu-jitsu. Because once you compete a lot, you're like, bro, jiu-jitsu, this isn't hard. You're not like nervous. You know what to expect. Even if you lose, you're like, eh, you know, whatever. I lost to go back, practice, learn that thing, and all this stuff. It becomes fun. But mentally, it sucks from you. Now, if you have a family and you're looking after your older parents and you don't care about being the best jujitsu player you can possibly be i think that might for some people for a lot of people suck too much of your useful energy and attention off of things that are that are straight up like important you know in life there you go but it does help your jujitsu a lot a lot a lot though yes Mm -hmm. for those reasons next question hi jock echo from the land down under I'm a long-time listener to Jocko Podcast and recent subscriber to The Underground. I found extreme ownership to be extremely valuable in my personal and professional life. It has helped me find and capitalize on leadership opportunities in my career, in education, and to become a leader in my jiu-jitsu gym. I've got, I've got a 15-year-old son. He doesn't love school. He doesn't have a great work ethic, but he's trying to improve his personal discipline. He doesn't know what, what he wants to do when he leaves school at the end of the next year. Recently... He came and asked me how I would feel about him having a career in the defense force here in Australia. I told him that as long as he's doing something that he gives that gives him purpose, I'm happy. But whatever he chooses, he needs to do his research first. I have no personal experience with this, with the defense force. What should be what should he be taking into consideration when considering a career in the military? Uh, that's awesome. Um, great path. Um, one thing that's really cool is there's many 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 jobs in the military like basically every job whether you're a cook or a diesel mechanic or a doctor or a medic or a lab tech or an avionics tech or you're doing carpentry or you're doing law enforcement or you're doing finance or logistics and supply like you can do any type of job in the military not to mention you can do infantry, not to mention you can do special operations. You can do literally anything inside the military. So I would start talking to him about what he's interested in. Like what type of job do you think you would like to do? Some people like to build, some people like to destroy, some people like to work with money, some people like to help other people, maybe that's for, you know, to be a medic. Like there's, maybe some people like technical things, so you're gonna work on aircraft. Like there's a, just what is he interested in? What does he wanna do? And then what kind of life is he interested in? You know, in the Air Force, in, the, in America, stereotypically, but also kind of true, the Air Force is going to have the best kind of uh, living conditions, right? The Air Force has the nicest barracks. They have the nicest facilities. In the Navy, you're going to live on a ship in most cases. Ship life is not for everybody. Submarine life is even for even less people. 
Um, now you got the Army and the Marine Corps. Now you got what? What are those living conditions like? So what? You know what kind of you got to think about what what type of living conditions he would be interested in, and then you can find out when you talk to people about in the Australian Defense Forces which one has the best type of living. Like, like here's another one. If you're in the Navy, most likely you're gonna be stationed by the ocean. You know, one of the reasons that I wanted to go in the SEAL teams is because I knew I was a young kid, I liked surfing, and I knew that if I joined the SEAL teams, if I made it into the SEAL teams, I would either get stationed in San Diego, California, or Virginia Beach, Virginia. Both of those by the ocean, by waves. So that, that kind of like helped my decision-making process. If I would have joined the army, I might have been stationed in the middle of the country where there's no ocean. So look at what you want to do, look at where you want to live, look at the opportunities that gets presented. And what type, what branches of service would put you in what part of the country? Like when I was in Australia, I went to Noosa where they had incredible waves. And if I don't know if there's a military base up there, but I would have joined. I'd have been like, okay, but I can get stationed here in Noosa. Cool. I'm in. Let's go. Sign me up. But, you know, so you got to figure out what you want to do. And then do, then you're right when you say that he needs to do a bunch of research. He certainly does. He can read books. He can look at websites. He can watch documentaries. And most important, talk to people. Go get base tours. People will give you base tours. Shadow their job. See what their job is like day-to-day life. And as you learn more about the military, you can see what appeals to you and pick a good job that you really want to do. And also, like, think about if that job, if you want to, another thing to consider is how does that job apply to the civilian world? If you become a point man in special operations, you don't have the best transferable skills to the civilian sector. But if you become an avionics technician, you have a future career. So think about that as well. Learn and see what appeals to you. And then the last thing I'll say is don't allow anybody to convince you, especially a recruiter. I don't know what the recruiters are like in Australia, but in America, they'll be like, no, son, what you want to do is be a whatever. They give you a job that you don't want. They say, Echo Charles, what do you like? And you say, I like ice cream. Great, we're going to make you a cook. They, they serve ice cream every day. You get all the ice cream you want. And then you end up being a cook and you didn't want to be a cook. You just happen to like ice cream. So choose what you want to do and then make sure that your contract has that information in it. And you got about a year, it sounds like a year and a half to get this figured out, so you have plenty of time. Do some research, man, and uh, go get some. Yeah, I think I might not be alone in this, but that's that was one of the things that I didn't really realize about the military. It's like it's a whole ecosystem of mm-hmm. like, it's a whole ecosystem in there. Plenty of jobs, like, you know, from the outside or whatever, you kind of think, Oh yeah, military, you front lines, you know, that's kind of it mm-hmm. or training to go to the front lines yeah. or whatever, you know, boot camp. That's the, that's what military is, you know, but no, nah, it's like this whole ecosystem. Yeah, you don't think about dentists yeah. or, or military doctor technician or yeah. freaking. Yeah. Engineers, like kind of everything. Yeah. It's interesting. All right. Last question. Good evening. First off, thank you all for, thank 
you for all that you and I could do for the world. I can truly say that you have positively impacted my, both my personal and professional life with your sharing of wisdom and knowledge. I'm on the path and have re- rediscovered my next mission for sure. Former Marine, now involved in the Travis Mannion Foundation, Spartan Leadership Program, Cohort 4. I'm Senior Operations Manager awesome. for a large global food manufacturer. My operational area has been the beneficiary of extreme ownership, specifically the four laws of combat since my arrival to this facility. Driving results f- by developing team concepts and frontline leaders, we are leading in many of our key deliverables. That being said, my impl- my plant manager has asked if I could temporarily move to another functional area that is struggling. The current senior operations manager struggles with feedback being basically unreceptive. Team leaders in that area lack accountability and seem to lack respect for this individual. This is resulting in poor metrics across the board. This is obviously a delicate situation in terms of the peer-to-peer relationship I have with this senior operations manager. My mission is to educate, esta- to educate establish accountability, and improve, improve labor variance. With, ma- with many egos involved, how would you approach this situation, employing the strategy and tactics that you have taught us all? To clarify... I'm assisting and not directly managing this area do this area during this this mission so there already be there already be conflict with who is in charge there might be there might already be conflict with who's in charge thank you again for this opportunity to ask a question yeah awesome well thanks for your service and yes Semper Fi devil dog um, first of all with the overall plant manager so the guy that's asking you to go and help out i would definitely set some good expectations with that individual that you are going to need some time to build some relationships and get this get this situation moving in the right direction and then you go and you develop a good relationship with this other um what's with this other senior operations manager you go and develop an awesome relationship. That should be your primary goal out of the gate. You listen to what he says. You trust what he says. You re- treat him with respect. You allow him to influence some of the things that you're doing. You show him that you care about him. And you show him that you care about the mission. You show him that you care about the team. You ask earnest questions. You listen to what he has to say. You go in there and start trying to ram your new ideas down his throat. He's already, you're telling me he's defensive. You have to, you can't do that. It's not gonna work. You're gonna build a relationship. You're gonna listen to him. You're gonna treat him with respect. You're gonna talk through what's happening. Cause if you go in there and you try and impose on him, he's not gonna like it. You won't have any influence over him, over him at all. So here's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. When there's something that's wrong, don't make it about him, right? Don't make it about him. It's not what are you doing wrong? Cause then he's gonna be at you know, level 12 defensive. Instead, it's like, hey, what, hey, why do you think some of these, why do you think the team's quality metrics are so bad? What do you think is causing that? You're not, you're not saying he's doing it. You're asking what, what do you think is causing it. Now, I can tell you that when you pull the thread on things that are causing problems, it always goes back to the leader, but we want him to figure that out. We don't want to smash him in the head with it. This gives him an out, right? It even gives him an out. This is going to sound weird, but it gives him the out to blame the team. Well, you know, the team just doesn't pay attention. Oh, Okay. So now we can start to figure out how to solve that problem. Mm. We know that it's a leadership problem. We know that. He's going to figure that out. And that's what we want. You know, we want to say, oh, what do you think the root cause is? Well, you know, they rush. Oh, okay. So how do you think we get them slow down? 
that would be a huge win for you if you got your team squared away and started hitting these metrics man that'd be awesome so that's what we're doing we're forming that relationship we're using the indirect approach all day we're gonna make this relationship paramount we're gonna make sure that this everybody knows this is a campaign well not everybody but your your plant manager you're gonna say listen this is gonna take some time here's what I'm gonna do you set that campaign up so that's what we're doing now I hate to do this I hate to throw this caveat in there but I'm going to there's a chance that this particular leader is completely incompetent that there is a chance that that's what's going on there's a chance that he's totally arrogant and won't listen to anything that you say no matter what approach you use so what I would do in that situation is I would continue to try and work with him, continue to try and build that relationship, continue to offer solutions up the chain of command, saying, hey, this is, we need to get this approach taken, but it is your boss's call. It's the plant manager's call that's going to say, listen, you've been doing this for two and a half months now. He's not changing. We got to get rid of him. That, that may happen. Now listen. My guess is that's only a 1% chance that that's needed. There's a 99% chance that you go in there, you go in there, you form that good relationship, you start talking to each other, you start talking about how you guys could win as a team, about how he could really, like you start, you can do this. You can just, I think there's a 99% chance of victory here. And there's a 1% chance, maybe a 3% chance, maybe it's 97% chance of victory and it's a 3% chance that this guy is just a complete arrogant, guy that's not going to listen to anybody else and he's not going to change his way he's doing things and they're not going to improve but most likely he wants to he doesn't want to get fired he wants to do a good job he's got a job he's got money he's got a paycheck coming in he wants that thing mm. empowering him making him recognize allow, let me not say that allowing him to recognize not making him mm. making him is hey your team's all messed up we're not doing that mm. hey what do you think's wrong what do you think's going on with the team? Why don't? Why do you think their quality is falling apart? What What do you think they could change? Oh, the, they could definitely inspect each other when they get done with each project, each each uh, piece. Oh, okay. Well, how, how would you do that? Well, I, they could each come. Up, you know, you could come up. He's finding the solutions. It's his idea. It's his solution. Your job is to show him the mirror. So he sees himself and he sees his team and he sees what the problem is. Your job is not to point your finger because he'll just get defensive. So that's what I got. I, uh, I'm searching for the right word, but for lack of a better term, I'm always impressed when you see, when you do those little like micro real world example, mm. hypothetical kind of scenarios. And you said this thing that I, I don't know why I just caught a cut or like picked up on it right now, but I did. So you said, you know, uh, the example was, oh, they rush, right? My team, they rush. That's why this is, so they were, and he's like blaming them, rush, rush. And then you say, oh, well, you know, and your tone has a lot to do with it, which is cool. You say, how do you think we can get them to slow down? It's, like you said, how do you think we can get them to slow down? It's like a like an initial like frame almost. Actually, it is a frame, it's a frame. where it's kind of like, oh yeah, it's our job to get them to slow down, mm-hmm. you know, kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And it is, but you never really look for them, given what he said. They rush, they're messing up. They, 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 right? Yeah. And but, there's little subtleties in there because if I said, how do you think you could get them to slow down? Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, that implies that it's his fault in the first place. Yeah. But if you say, hey, how do you think we could get them to slow down? Bro, it's okay. And it's their fault. That's why I'm saying them, right? Again, 
theoretically, right. the way this sounds in his head is like, yeah, it is their fault, but yeah. we could do something about it. It's up to us. Yeah. So, okay, so think about this. You know, if we, we all have kids here. So sometimes the kids, they don't act right. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I always thought, you know, pretty much 100%, even before I had kids, that like, hey, if the kid doesn't act right, it's something that I did or didn't do or whatever, right? Something I'm doing or not doing. But when you're in the situation, sometimes right, it can still get to you when they're not acting right, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can, whether be, even if you're dealing with your spouse, actually, especially if you're dealing with your spouse, but I would say even do it to yourself or like, oh, freaking, my kid's not acting right. Or it's not listening or it's not doing stuff as fast as I want them to or whatever. Ask yourself in this frame, what, what, do, you, what do I think I need to do to get them to do it? You know, mm-hmm. kind of like the goal is to get them to do things, not to punish them, not to necessarily, mm-hmm. n- not necessarily punish them or to, you know, throw my hands up and be all frustrated, getting mad at them or myself or whatever. It's like, what, what do I think I need to do? And you can even like if you have a spouse, you know, there, yep. you frame it the same way to her yep. or him or whatever. And just to make sure we're clear here. When I say, how do I get them to do this? Yeah. What you're really saying is, how can I get them to understand why this is the best way for them to do this? Yeah. Right? Yeah. How can I get them to want to do this? Not yeah, how can yeah. I get them to do this, how can I trick them? How can I get them to realize, where am I failing to explain to them that the best possible outcome for them as people yeah. is to do this thing? Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm not just trying to get them to do it, because mm-hmm. that's like this is for me. Mm. Even at this particular plant, right? Hey, those workers, the more efficient they are, the more output we have, the more the plant grows, the more opportunities there are. Like all this stuff helps. How do I make sure that they understand why they're doing what they're doing and how that will benefit them? So there you go. With that, Thank you for joining us. Have you heard this little microphone buzz a couple times? Does something weird? I don't know what's going on with it. I heard it, yeah. It goes, mm, just yeah. real quick. Yeah. It's odd. I don't like it. I wonder what I can do to make it not do that anymore. I don't know. Maybe get a new one since these things are from 1875. <laughs> thank you. Anyways, thank you for supporting us. Thank you for supporting the cause. We appreciate y'all being here. You guys know the gig. JockoFuel.com, OriginUSA.com, JockoStore.com, EchelonFront.com, ExtremeOwnership.com. We're there. We're putting out word, as we like to say. We're also on the interwebs. Echoes at Echo Charles. I'm at Jocko Willink. Thank you for supporting this domain of freedom known as the underground. We'll be here kicking it. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko out.